travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia episode 94. This one is Bangkok's changing face. Bangkok is consistently rated one of the world's most popular cities for travelers and has long been a mainstay on the Southeast Asian travel circuit. Vibrant traditional old communities bump up against gleaming new skyscrapers, the street food dazzles, Michelin-starred restaurants abound, and the infamous Red Bull tank tops are for sale streetside. Bangkok's got a lot to experience and then some. On this episode, we'll chat about about how the City of Angels has changed over our nearly 20 years living here, sometimes for the better and others for the worse. From Bangkok itself, this is Scott Coates, and with me as always is my co-host... Hey Scott, Trevor Ranges here in Phnom Penh. Um, You know, I moved here almost a year ago, and uh, Bangkok changes so fast that we could probably just do an episode on, on what's changed in the month or so since I'd last been there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are cranes everywhere across this city it seems like you read about a new restaurant and then three four months later when you get a chance to go it's out of business and there's five new places open like yeah it is on fire yeah i mean even just like the public transportation and everything you know i moved to bangkok in 2001 uh, which was the one year anniversary of the bts skytrain Mm. Um, and I had visited before back in the 90s pre-Skytrain, but that's, a, that's kind of another story. But, but even like the Skytrain changed the city so much, you know, just even as it expanded, right? It just kept evolving. Um, I lived on Sukhumvit Soy 1, which is mm-hmm. a Plunchit BTS station. Near Bumrungrad Hospital. Yeah, Bumrungrad Hospital and the JW Marriott. But it's also near Nana, which is one of the famous red light districts. And uh, Sukhumvit, uh, you know, soy like five and seven, which has a big Middle Eastern community. Um, you know, so my first impressions of Bangkok were just that it, it's just this crazy, diverse, cosmopolitan, chaotic city. But, but you know, like that Skytrain really opened up areas of the city that I think prior to that, like few people explored. And you could really see it changing, like, you know, new sidewalks started being built where the Skytrain stations were and new bars and restaurants started pop- popping up around the Skytrain. So I think, and that, and that continues to happen, right? There's new train lines being born. There's new cities of the new areas of the city that are evolving. So, you know, it just happens so fast. Yeah. And we'll touch on trains a little uh, later in this episode. You lived right downtown from the beginning. I moved here in September 1999 and way out in the burbs on what's called Ramkumhang Road, kind of like halfway out to Sawanapum Airport. And I remember arriving at night. And of course, the air compared to Canada was so hot thick and humid and there was just this smell in the air that i still know to this day and fluorescent light bulbs along the dark roads which were where little food stands were and uh, yeah i just remember it seeming so peculiar i was on a real budget so part of me i do know that it wasn't as sophisticated a city and it was less expensive but i remember i also just from sheer um, financial 
uh, necessity kind of lived pretty pretty easy and low and that's you know changed as I've, I've grown and done financially better so yeah it's a city with big changes and we're going to get into a whole lot of categories like eating drinking transport and so forth but before we get there let us thank terry blackburn from the united states who sponsored us on patreon at the 25 dollar level that's the big kahuna thank you so much terry he mentioned in a message to us that he learned about the cardamom tented camp on episode 81 tented camps in southeast asia from us and some other handy tips which he and his wife recently used on their trip here so thank you so much terry for helping support the show and to those of you that have not shown us financial love trevor and i pay for all of this the hosting the editing out of our own pockets if you go to our homepage on the left you'll see donate or go to patreon you can sponsor from a dollar up so thank you terry and other sponsors for your love so trevor where are we going to start here well, since it's morning here and I'm having a cup of coffee, uh, mm. you know, one of the things that I noticed changed a lot over the years was just the quality of coffee in, in Bangkok. Uh, yeah. You know, like I'd spent a bit of time in like Vietnam and, and in Laos and, and there's, a, there's a big coffee culture in parts of Asia. But I remember Bangkok was like a Nescafe culture. I, there was no Starbucks yet. And, mm. uh, you know, it, it was really hard to get a decent cup of coffee. I mean, if you went out to like breakfast or something at like a restaurant, uh, you know, even then, I think you, it was hard to get a you, you'd have to ask, like, do you have real coffee or Nescafe? Mm. Um, and now, like, there's little coffee kiosks like everywhere. Like, you know, I just carry around my Talk Travel Asia mug here that Scott got me for Christmas a few years ago. And uh, and you could just get it refilled with like coffee, like at any BTS station almost now or all over the city. There's like little coffee shops that make a proper cup of coffee uh, for like a dollar to two dollars max, you know? Yeah, I distinctly remember that. Like I'm still not really a Starbucks guy. It's not that I have a hate on for them or anything, but I kind of call it the Starbucks barometer. And when those start popping up in a city, you know that the middle class is growing and there's just more money to be spent. And I think after I moved here, there was one one on Tonglaw and maybe one around Langsuan, but I am a coffee drinker. And I do remember, man, like I spent a lot of time in Chiang Rai because I ran tours at that time. And up in Northern Thailand, like getting anything other than a Nescafe for the first 10 years was near impossible. And now, I mean, you go around this city or pretty much anywhere in Thailand and every every Somchai has a little, you know, espresso machine on the side of the road and you can get a, a cup of coffee. But that was one definitely like, as you said, even a proper restaurant, like the cup of coffee was often a turd. Yeah. And it was like, that would be something that you'd like share information about, you know, as we get into some of these other uh, topics. Um, you know, when I first moved in 2001, like the internet was still in its somewhat infancy, right? Like there, there wasn't Google Maps or anything no. yet. So you'd have to like remember where you got a good cup of coffee and then you'd share that information with your friends. And so as we, we segue into like drinking and nightlife and stuff, the nightlife was kind of similar to that as well. Mm. Like, uh, you know, there wasn't Google Maps yet. There was no BK or Guru magazine. Um, no. I did some writing for Metro magazine. And, and I guess prior to when I worked there, Philip Cornwell Smith, who was on uh, one of our earlier episodes about Thailand and Bangkok, mm. Um, you didn't really know where to go. Like when you went out, you needed to have like a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. I remember a friend of mine had heard that there was a place in some neighborhood and you had to climb up like a fire escape or something like mm -hmm. that to get there. And, and uh, it was really much more of an underground scene. You know, like uh, back in those days, the, the city was open 24 hours. Like you could stay out and drink like all night. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and you just sort of like bounced around neighborhoods, like wandering around, trying to like discover places. Um, 
Yeah, we, we, we hung out at the that soy behind uh, Sanam Luang, like the, the park there where brown sugar used to be. Dude. Saracen. There's a bunch of bars. Yeah, was it Saracen? It is Saracen, yeah, the street yeah, right behind okay. Lumpini. Um, you know, because that was kind of my neighborhood, so there was a bunch of bars around mm. there. We used to go to like saxophone and, and that area, but um, there wasn't quite as many places to go out, uh, or at least you didn't necessarily know about them because, uh, you know, the, I guess the number of expats there was much smaller back then, and, uh, you know, the scene was uh, not quite evolved the way it is now. I mean, now it was world famous even back then, mm. but I think then it was because it was like 24 hours and there, it was a little bit edgy and gritty, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so it's just as popular now, but it's very, very different than it was. Yeah. Yesterday I was driving somewhere and I had to look on Google Maps, and it got me thinking yesterday and then doing in this outline it's like how did we survive before the internet like i had i remember buying a scratch card with a pin code for dial-up internet time at the at that time i mean even in bangkok like uh fast internet is only really like eight to ten years old and as far for going out is as you mentioned yeah you could kind of drink anytime anywhere and then in the early 2000s uh taxin shinawat's government he's the gentleman that was ousted in uh, 2006 went on kind of a morality campaign and i remember they even had like nightclubs closing at midnight for a while there was tons of raids you know where the cops would come in and you'd have to show id and maybe even like pee in a cup and then they instituted the stupidest law in thailand that still exists where there's no booze sold at stores from midnight to 11 a.m and then two to five in the afternoon which is just crazy and at that time there was all kinds of like Every street side along Sukhumvit seemingly and Soy 11 had VW vans that were converted into bars and little, you know, street side bars. And there was, um, you know, like Cheap Charlie's and Soy 11, which is now way out on on Nuit and Check In 99, which has moved to 31 or 33. And Woodstock, the kind of rock and roll bar that was in Nana Plaza, moved and is now closed again. And one I really remember was in those first five to 10 years, like the cool season, December to January, every shopping mall would erect beer gardens like that was the big thing it was beer season and that's almost kind of doesn't happen so much uh now either right like i mean there's still lots of great places but i think it's gone from like simple lager beer to kind of a more sophisticated scene Hmm. well you know i I don't know about the beer gardens because i haven't been there in in the winter in a while but i you know i feel like they would still do some beer gardens but you're right there used to be a lot more Hmm. there used to be well, there was a lot more drinking options in general, but you mentioned some places in my neighborhood, like the Check-in 99, yeah. Cheap Charlie's, because that's where I lived, and, and Woodstock, yeah, that was definitely uh, one of our neighborhood bars, and for I guess some people might remember, Woodstock was a bar that was inside of Nana Plaza, yeah. which is one of the, the red light go-go bar uh, areas of the city, but Woodstock was like a regular bar, they had pool the tables only one. and a foosball table and rock and roll music, and really good, like... Uh, Tex-Mex food, which also reminds me of the hamburgers. Remember everybody used to go for Nana Burgers? Because <laughs> yeah. that was like the best burger in town. Like the burger scene has changed a lot. Sure even, has. You know? So back then, like that's where you could get the best Mexican food and the best burger was like at Nana Plaza. Mm. Um, and, and sticking on the red light district a bit, uh, we used to go to a, to the Pat Pong area. We spent a lot of time on Silam Soy 4, which is still like a pretty happening area. Um, mostly like bars catering to, to gay clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was lots of great gay discos in that area tapas as well. But we used to hang out on Ceylon for Ford. Yeah, Tapas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tapas is still there, yeah. too. But there was another place called Home, okay. uh, which was a great club. And there was Noriegas, which played loud music. I remember music. that one. Um, 
And uh, and then there was a disco called Lucifer. I do remember that, was that one on too. Pat Pong. That was upstairs. That was pretty fun. And I guess like now, like I don't even have any desire to go to like the immediate Pat Pong area. Everything's kind of moved down Silam a bit further. There's a uh, White Line and Maggie Chews. Um, so Silam's still got uh, you know some things going on, uh, but certainly just not around that Pat Pong area so much. Anymore. Yeah, a club scene. I have no clue, man. But I do remember going to the place above Radio City Lucifer's that you mentioned. And uh, oh yeah, Radio City. Remember they used to have the Elvis and Ty Tom, Tom Jones show. There was Ty Tom Jones yeah, and Elvis every night awesome. of the week. Yeah, and I just God man, maybe I guess it's getting older and being married. I have no idea about the club scene, but like you mentioned, Maggie Chews and White Line. Like uh, Bangkok sure has its clubs, but you know, I mean, moving on to beer. This is something you and I are both passionate, but. I just remember it was all Southeast Asian lagers when I moved here and probably all that I could afford. So it was like Chang, Sing, Tiger. And I do remember the odd time I would go to, you know, there was really only a few pubs in. There were sort of a few British or Irish pubs. And seeing that Guinness, I think it was even 300 baht a pint at the time. And I just remember that was an unfathomable amount to pay for a beer. And also, I just didn't have that much to spend but i remember there was like a place that changed names a ton on the corner of saladang and Silom. it was like irish exchange molly malone's and a couple other names and it finally closed in 2018 because they're going to build a brand new tower but i really just feel like it was a lot of lager with a few places that sold guinness and kilkenny and that was kind of it yeah you're right the pub scene was kind of where it was at and there was the londoner that's which right was, uh, actually Londoner's still around i guess it's just moved but londoner used to be on sukum 33 and that was a great place to go because they had like buy one get one free uh like you know bitters yeah, or lager right. they, had, they made a couple of beers that were passable yeah. <clears throat> but it was just such a happening place it would be like international school kids and like older newspaper guys and freelance prostitutes mm. and japanese tourists yeah. and like expats and they had a great band it was a lot of fun but i remember like really early on it was interesting because there were a few other brew pubs other than tawandang tawandang is a big german beer hall that's, that's right around, three of them in the city really cool yeah, mm-hmm. okay. But there used to be a Polliner, um, and then they ended up brewing beer to sell at Danwang Airport. You used to be able oh, to buy that's right. craft beer there. And there was a place called Tony's that made their own beer. Oh. Um, but Because I remember I did a story for Metro Magazine about the beer scene uh, way back then. But then it changed, and we went through years where like it was only, right, like... There wasn't even Leo yet, right? But no. It was, you know, those like kind of cheap brands came and went. Uh, there was one good one called Black Tiger that I still have a beer label. I think from. I'm unfamiliar um, with that one. Certainly the beer scene has changed a lot. I mean, that's definitely, that's as big or bigger than the coffee. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we've talked to the guys from Beer Vanna before who sort of led the way importing, you know, U.S. Uh, craft beers. And now, I mean, I think there's well over 100 places in Bangkok that you can get craft beer. Um, you can get. I mean, tons of beer, which is great, but holy, has the price tag gone up with it. I went to a place the other night where literally a bottle of imported beer was about 15 US dollars and people were paying it. I couldn't believe it. But I mean, you can get beer now everywhere, right? Yeah, you know, and, and again, going back to the Google Maps, it's, uh, I, I'm a member of a Facebook group for beer in Thailand and someone recently made a Google map of all oh, wow. places so i'm gonna try and find that and and again go to our show notes at uh, talktravelasia.com mm. and I, if i can find that google map i'll put that on here but i'm gonna put some links to some other of our favorite uh, places that are still around or or bangkok now attractions that i think are worth uh, sharing with our guests yeah and this isn't going to be an all drinking one but i want to give like a special mention we kind of touched on it to the beer bars like the first decade i was here I remember it was these old wooden shop houses where you would like see people playing Connect Four with Hostess Girls 
and drinking lagers. And the intersection of Asok now that has like huge office towers, every corner of that thing had huge beer bars. I remember there was a country road there, I think. And it's just basically if you walked around like Siloam or Sukhumvit, like it was just all these little wood finished old shop house beer bars. And you can still see some like I know in the corner of Sukhumvit 20 or 22, but those are, are quickly going the way of the dodo. Yeah. Okay. So next one is, uh, do you want to jump into eating or do you have anything else to add on the drinking front? I don't, you know, like again, living on Sukhumvit Soy One, uh, there was a, a German restaurant uh, called Tilak that was right opposite the building that I lived in. So for like, uh, you know, I, I had, and, and then I lived in that like uh, Middle Eastern kind of area. And, and then there was the Marriott there and we had some great street food. So like, it, in my neighborhood, because it was a mixture of uh, different types of expats and, and lots of foreigners, it seemed like I, I always had a pretty good selection of different kinds of food. I guess uh, the experience out in your neighborhood would have been a little bit different. Yeah, yeah well, I live definitely in, in the Thai burbs and it was street food, which I still love, like 80, 90 percent of what I eat is Thai food. But I do remember like the Western breakfast was not super common. There was Little Home Bakery, I think is still there on Tonglaw for pancakes and there was crepes and company but like if you wanted a, a western breakfast there wasn't too much else and now i think there's hipster spots everywhere I, I think there's been enough ties that have you know gone to university overseas and they've come back and they've brought the western breakfast so that's a big one i noticed and and mexican food too you made a note about this and this is a big one i think yeah i mean again we had access to uh to woodstock which made great enchiladas you know but but really there wasn't anything man senor picos uh in the rembrandt hotel and actually senor senor picos is still there and and they they got a new chef apparently about a year Mm -hmm. ago and i hear that their food's really good so i still think that's like a great place for it but we were talking for many years we kept talking like when woodstock closed down we were like we got to find the chef and we're going to open another mexican restaurant and we wanted to do it in that kind of plinchit area Mm -hmm. and and strangely enough like that area like like plunge it to Sukhumvit 11 turned out to be like remain the kind of mexican food area because there was a place called charlie brown's that was that was out of town so i never eat i never ate there until they moved to Sukhumvit soy 11 okay. and then la, la monita moved into like near Planchet, Mahatun, yeah. and uh yeah so you know like mexican finally arrived in in bangkok in a pretty good way um, but I do miss those Woodstock enchiladas. Yeah, Charlie Brown's is still around. It's around Asok now, but I'd always heard that Thais didn't really like Mexican, that they found it kind of bland. But as you mentioned, there's been explosion. Like, there's lots of places, and Thais seem to go now. I think they've just, you know, traveled a bit more. So that's been a, a, a big one. But I do love that you can still eat for, like, a dollar fifty US or up. So whether you want something cheap or expensive, there's everything here. I've noticed in the last few years a serious explosion of Japanese and Korean places everywhere. And if you eat in malls, being Canadian, I still only think to go eat outside standalone places, really. So I don't think to eat in malls. But like the malls in Bangkok have, you know, they call them Thai street food, food courts. There's even cheap food courts that are good. And then like a ton of high-end restaurants now, like places like M. Courtier, if you go up to the fifth floor, there's like a spiral staircase that goes around up four floors with just all kinds of high-end restaurants. So, I mean, the from the high-end scene has really exploded here, I would say. Um, that would be the big, big change for me. 
Yeah, you know, that's interesting. The first one, talking about just the, that you can eat for cheap. That's one of the funny things, though. If you do come mm. here or to Bangkok and you want Mexican food, you know, like I lived in Southern California for a while. So, you know, like a burrito was not that expensive. So it's kind of like, you know, how people in the West pay like fourteen ninety five for a pad thai. Mm-hmm. And that would be insane for us because pad thai should, should only cost like a dollar or two, yeah. right? It's, it's the same thing for Mexican. Like be prepared to spend like $15 on your bean and cheese burrito because mm. it's like an exotic food here. But yeah, you know, like the number of Japanese people in, in Bangkok has really grown. I mean, I, I moved to the Prompong area near like Tonglo area where there was always lots of Japanese expats. So, but I have noticed, you're right, there are an increasing number of, of Japanese and Korean restaurants, which are great. That's one of I the best I think it's for Thais too. They love it, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, like the barbecue and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but definitely the shopping mall thing. Like, you know, there always had been kind of like food courts in malls like MBK or, or Robinson's or something like that. Right. But uh, I also lived near Central Chitlom, which I think did the first fancy food court with the, the food You're right. up on the top on floor. Seven. It's a good one. And you went. Did you go and eat the Tom Yum Goom? I've yet to have recently? it, but I've eaten in that food court. It's uh, good. Yeah, that was a, I mean, that was the first like fancy food court that they built in the city. And and you're right now they're everywhere. Like M. Cortier has like this this amazing like food plaza mm. or food mall almost, you know. But uh, yeah, whether you're eating on the usually the fancy ones are on the top floors and the local style ones are like on the basement or the ground. That's floor. right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, d- definitely that's been a good evolution, especially because like we lost a lot of the street food. Yeah. So like the fact that you can sort of still get kind of street food in a shopping mall uh, is, is kind of nice. Yeah, not street food prices. but and, and that, you know, takes us right into one of, I think, the biggest changes. And it's really occurred in the last three to five years is that Bangkok is famous for street food. It was everywhere. But like places like Tonglo and Ekamai, they officially a couple of years ago outlawed street food there. And I've noticed, too, they've been burying the power lines along Sukhumvit, which is great. But with it, it seems everywhere they bury power lines, they kind of get rid of the street food. So it's tougher and tougher to find it. Um, I mean, there's still areas and it still happens but it's something that kind of makes me sad and i have a i have a kind of a secret theory that cp who owns 7-eleven and makes a lot of ready-made food maybe has even lobbied the government to do this because now people working in certain areas they have to go to 7-eleven to buy ready-made meals but i mean where do you still go for street food and what's your impression trevor um well, yeah, I mean, there certainly was way more street food. Again, like I lived on Tong Law for a while and they, they, there's no more street food on Tong Law. Hmm, yeah. um, we, we, it's really sad because we lost some great place great places there but like Sukhumvit uh, 38 uh, they're still sort of hanging in sort there of, you know yeah. um, you know I lived on Sukhumvit so I won as I mentioned before so like I used to go to this place we called him the soup man because he made like he made like like Thai soups um, but he also made like common guy which is like the chicken with mm-hmm. rice you know and that was like my staple like that was my go-to place to eat like any given day of the week you know and then uh after i left the that neighborhood uh i guess the the soup man passed um and his son who was studying to be a veterinarian didn't really want to take over the family business but then like about like three years ago i went to bumblegrad hospital and i was walking down the street and i heard someone like calling to me and i turned around and it was it was the son of soup man <laughs> and the son of soup man has taken over his father like he, he finally has committed to it and they they have a little restaurant i've eaten there with you yeah on at the top of soup so i want yeah he doesn't make the soup like his father did he, he does some different dishes but uh, pretty good street food yeah i mean there's still a spots for it i i mean you know even on i think it's sukhavit 37 there's an okay one and 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 don't get me wrong you you don't have to go too far 
to, to find a bowl of noodles or something. And But even like Yaorat, Chinatown, has great food, but it's just been kind of like organized a bit more. So it's not what it is. And, and I kind of fear that like it's one of the real great things that really gives Bangkok its character that's that slowly is slowly fading away but there's still lots to be had but you know one of the big topics we have here is is getting around which has sure changed a lot and when i moved here i remember in september 99 there was no sky train or mrt it was all like bus taxi boat motorcycle taxi and i used to take a lot of three and five bot buses way out on ramkamhang and even to come downtown get off at petrobury road um and i remember starting to take the skytrain on the first day it opened on his majesty the king's birthday on december 5th 1999 and it took man it took like five to ten years for that thing to really get full but like the skytrain was this weird crazy thing and i remember we were like is this thing gonna work is it gonna break down and and now i mean there's the skytrain's over capacity wouldn't you say yeah i mean when i go back to visit now like it, it just it's so crowded yeah and it was originally just because of commuters like as it extended out into the suburbs like more and more and more people would ride it but now just like tourists like chinese visitors like during the day that the, the train's crowded with tourists right mm -hmm. but uh yeah that certainly changed the game i mean again i i first visited in 96 um and i took a tuk tuk from kawasan road to to nana um, just because, like, I had no that idea, like, the distances. Yeah, that's super far. Right? Yeah. Um, and now it's still, like, it's still, it can be a bit trickier to get over to, like, uh, Bangalampu and the Grand Palace area. Although, taking a Klong boat, it's great that those boats are still running because that, that, the Klong boats can be a great way to get around the city. But the Skytrain certainly was a big game changer. And then the metro, the underground, and, and they keep extending, like, this, the train goes across the river now and it goes all the way out to Bangna. And, like I said earlier, like, Every time they build a new SkyTrain station, that they rebuild the sidewalks in that area, and they they like you know that's where the Starbucks mm. start to pop up and the shopping malls. Like so many of the SkyTrains directly link to to shopping malls, and then they built like these the sky bridges underneath the train tracks. So you know around like the Siam Square area, like you can almost walk from Plunchit all the way to National Stadium without setting foot on the ground. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a game changer, and you know um, while traffic is still just awful in the city is that the train situation in another decade is going to make Bangkok quite incredible to get around. I believe there's two or three lines scheduled open in 2020. And we will link to our friend, uh, Greg from Bangkok podcast. He has what is probably the best map of the future transport system. And they're building like crazy, which will make getting around really, really great, especially if they can figure out how to have one card to use on all of them. And I'll just touch though, the old school transport, like you mentioned, the Klong Sansep, they call it canal boat, which basically runs from the far Eastern suburbs to downtown central at Pratunam. And then another boat continues to the old city and even the river ferries. Like it's such a unique way to get around. And you know, you, you cut traffic. So while we're talking about modern trains, you still have the boats, which work really great. So if anything, I think getting around in Bangkok is getting better. Yeah, and motorbike taxi is still going strong. You know, a big change, though, was the like Uber and Grab and, and those kind of apps, because like dealing with the taxis in Bangkok always was and still is a bit of a, a hassle, you know. So I think, uh, you know, those apps are, are kind of game changers, too. But, you know, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Bangkok's always been a tricky city to get around, and I guess it's still kind of tricky. It's just uh, tricky in a different way. Yeah, well, we're going to move on. Uh, you need transport to get to shopping malls, and we're not big shoppers, but I think it's 
we got to mention a little bit of this, right? And I remember when I moved here, right downtown at the central, kind of between Chitlom and Siam, I remember the the big mall was World Trade Center, which is now called Central World. It's gone under a a few renovations, kind of being one of the big ones. And then what what was the other big ones? It was Central Chitlom and Emporium? MBK, man. Like, MBK is still there, but like back in the day, like you had to go to MBK. You had to. You know, like for certain types of things, like that's where you you got things was MBK. And, And MBK is still hanging in there too amidst all of these like mega modern shopping malls uh mbk has still re- retained some relevance but uh you know again that bts really could changed it for for shopping i think because i remember the first time i went to emporium and you, you ride an escalator directly from the sky train into the shopping that's mall. right i was like ooh, like i was in blade runner or something like that yeah i, I mean i'm not a shopping mall guy but a lot of expats, we always marvel, like, how are all these places staying open? You basically, from CM and National Stadium on the SkyTrain, where MBK and CM Discovery is, you just keep going out towards Prompong, and it's just one after the other. Central Embassy, Paragon's new, right? Uh, M. Corte's new. They're building yet a third one by M. Corte and Emporium. And, of course, Icon CM, which is the biggest private uh, construction project in Thai history, like over $2 billion paid for with cash by the family that owns the private company or a private business opened on the other side of the Chao Phraya River just uh, a couple months ago. So like, yeah, shopping is off the hook here. But on the other end of the year, I was going to just jump in there with like, uh, you know, they used to have a bit more night markets. I mean, JJ, the weekend market Mm. is obviously still there, always will be there. Uh, But there used to be this Nam Luang, remember it was called the Suan Lum Night Bazaar. That place was great. Sure was. And, and, uh, I don't know. They closed down JJ Green or something like that. There was a night market near Jadajak that recently got shut down. But I, if, I feel so. like there was more. There was more souvenir shopping and kind of like local markets and street markets and stuff than than there are today. I think there were more centrally located because I looked and at last count there's like three or four night markets. But uh, I mean, one is on Rachada Road. There's one way out on Sri Nakaran Road, and there's a couple others. And I think two of them actually are called the Train Market. So there are three or for but it's it's like a, a long taxi ride now so they've just sort of been pushed out because Su and Loom which you mentioned was on the corner Rama 4 and Wireless Road opposite Lumpini now that is being built into like you know um, another mega yeah, mall, mega mall yeah. tower office it's I think Condos. it's going to be the biggest multi-use complex in Bangkok so. but interestingly like Asiatique sort of took over a lot of the things from Su and Loom because like the Joe Louis theater mm-hmm. uh, moved to Asiatique right. and so Asiatique which is on the it's on the riverside sort of in the, the south side of, of Bangkok's yeah. riverfront. Um, that's a bit of a tourist and local shopping night market destination, but it doesn't quite have the same shopping vibe. I, I don't know. It, I, I like Swan Loom. Yeah, better. it's clean. It's sanitized. There's a technically free boat from Sapan Taksin Station along the river, but there's massive queues. I think it, I, from what I understand, tourists really like it, but it's not a place as somebody living here that you'd probably go to. And then kind of, I think to wrap up shopping, like the big change was, I remember the first few years thinking that like Pat Pong market or shopping for fake watches and fake branded t-shirts was so cool but like you go down Pat Pong go-go bar area and I went like a few months back and it was kind of semi ghost town a lot of the go-go bars are now purse shops and uh, even a lot of the street stalls that used to be out selling tourist stuff on the roads have been sort of moved and closed down and I hate to say it I don't think it's such a bad thing <laughs> 
No, but along Sukhumvit, it's kind of cool. Like, it creates an atmosphere, you know? Yeah, it does. Um, the Sukhumvit night market. And, and mostly, you know, it's like crap. There's T-shirts and DVDs and sex toys and, and whatnot, right? There's a guy who sells, like, magic trick stuff. I always like that guy's shop. That's right near where the check-in 99 is. Okay, I've missed that one. All right. Yeah. have to get my magic on. Um, yeah. Well, I think we'll head back now to the Riverside. We were talking about boats, but there's been quite a few changes on the Riverside, huh, Trevor? I got to imagine. I mean, you know, I, again, don't spend as much time over that part of the city as I used to. I got to drive a river ferry a couple of years nice ago, one. which was at night, which was pretty crazy. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I used to do uh, some teaching at Tamasat, uh, Tatien, and I used to take the ferry boat uh, back to the SkyTrain after class. And I've always loved the Bangkok riverfront. And, and there used to be some really cool little bars at Tatien. Uh, is that Tatien where Tamasat is? Uh, Tatien is right opposite Wat Po. So if you're Wat, Wat Po, yeah, oh, you would, okay, it's okay. just the pier there. Taprachan. Mm. Taprachan is the one that Tamasat. That's right. And there used to be like, uh, that's where the Madu, like the fortune teller shops used yeah. to be. And I, I know last time I was over there, they were completely renovating it, making it all sorts of new and fancy pier. Mm. So I don't know if the fortune tellers, hopefully the fortune tellers got their stalls back. Tatien, you're right, was a little bit farther south and that place had a really cool little wooden bar was, yeah. um, upstairs from the pier right. as well and and again I, I, last time i checked that was still there really? but i could totally see that a lot of the riverfront is developing there's getting fancier new restaurants there's supaniga which is in that area where Ur is mm. you know there's like some fancy there's some fancier hipper kind of Thai restaurants uh, along the riverfront, which totally makes sense. I mean, like even Asiatique, I, I always wondered why Bangkok didn't utilize the, the river more. And I guess now Icon Siam is right on the river as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a double edged sword for me because in many ways, like the riverside was in many ways run down and kind of crappy. Um, I mean, a place like Long 1919 took an old Chinese warehouse and has turned it into kind of a trendy yeah trendy boutique which in many ways that building probably would have been torn down had they not done that so that's really cool um there's some neat you can even have craft beer now near tamasat along the river the other side of the coin is by pak klong talat the old flower and vegetable market that pier there they've made to look like old but brand new and it has a starbucks and chain restaurants so it's kind of like in some ways it's neat that there's more on the river but then they've taken some of the cool stuff and just sort of like i kind of like sanitize singapore in it in a certain way well yeah i mean that seems to have been the, the the scheme of the government for a while with getting rid of street food and stuff like that is trying to like modernize thailand and make it feel more like singapore or something so i guess you're right i mean if that bar at tatian's still there you mentioned the sheep shank the craft beer place yeah. that's up uh, north of tamasat by uh, what's that park called there uh, it's uh prasuman park i think yeah, right. So that part of the city, I think, right there on the riverfront, it's still kind of got that old vibe, kind of cool feeling. Um, but yeah, definitely the riverfront is evolving. Um, but it's nice that there's the ferry. You know, here in Phnom Penh, they just started a, a little ferry system. And it's just kind of exciting that like it could evolve in, in some kind of way like Bangkok has. So I think that's the riverfront. Uh, again, right, we're losing some things. Like if, if the fortune tellers aren't there at Taparchan anymore, that would be sad. But uh, it's kind of cool that the city's getting more utilization out of the river now. Yeah, and, and one thing that does excite me about that is just uh, two weekends ago, I was up by Tamasat where you're talking about walk by Sheepshank and there's like a nice sidewalk right along the river now you can walk and on the other side there's some sidewalks and there's some talk about building more than that's kind of cool and I think it kind of just ties into probably everything we've talked about like 
nowhere in the world do things stay the same everything changes but it's probably tourism too that's driven this right a lot is that um kind of you mentioned here in the notes that in 1999 there was only 14 million tourists to the city and now we're at about 30 million right so like places are legitimately getting overrun tourism uh, over tourism is becoming a thing and there's just more people more money being spent so i, I mean i think it, it ties into that and i see you have a note about hotels like how about the hotel front well you know, again, before we move on with the tourism, yeah, like I was saying with the SkyTrain earlier, it's just so crowded, right? And and Bangkok's always been like a destination for shopping, right? And that's probably one of the reasons that, you know, the SkyTrain links up with all these shopping malls. And, and obviously Thai people love to shop too. But uh, yeah, you know, like, again, going back to, you know, that around the year 2000, um, sure, there was lots of tourists, but like as expats, you kind of like you had your neighborhood and people didn't necessarily know about like your neighborhood street food stalls or whatever. And now it seems like, you know, with Google Maps and all of these uh, online resources like TripAdvisor, everybody knows about everything and everybody has access to everywhere because of the trains and the transportation. So for tourists, it's probably better because now it's so much easier to get to and find all of these things that used to kind of be the provenance just of locals and, and expats. Um, and hotels, yeah, I don't even know how many hotels are there in, in Bangkok. There's probably well over a thousand. Five so, million, yeah, right, five million. I mean, I remember like we had Stuart uh, from Travelfish on a recent episode, yeah, and uh, I, I just bumped into him the other night here in Phnom Penh. Um, but I did some work for him and uh, just talked, just doing reviews of guest houses. And I, I went over to Kaosan Road and I rented a room over there and I stayed there for a week. Hmm. It took me like a week just to go and inspect like every guest house and hotel just in the Kaosan Road area. And there was well over 100 just in Banglampu, you know. Hmm. Um, so then I would a couple weeks later rent a room down in Silom and then just stay in that Silom area and just check out hotels to there'd be another hundred in that neighborhood you know so I think for for visitors you know there's this ever increasing selection and there's always so much competition between all of these big hotels that like I think people are still getting really good deals it has to be the best deal in the world especially of a capital city to stay like for $50 US you can stay at a place that you probably know the name of that hotel and and they're just building more and more so that is like a huge bargain and they continue to build so I don't think prices are going to go up um, you know overall there's way more to eat and drink but it's it's gotten more expensive as you touched on with the Pat Thai Mexican uh, example like when I go and eat out like I had a burger the other week that I'm like this is this is way more than the burger would cost in Canada. So yeah, you can do it. But overall, things certainly aren't as cheap as they used to be. Even admissions to temples like Wat Po is now 200 baht. I mean, that's like 650 US. So I mean, there's more to do uh, if you want modern things they are there. But I think overall, just, you know, prices, prices have gone up. Bangkok's not quite the cheap city it used to be. But then you also mentioned it's getting sophisticated. Like you have a note about art here. Yeah. Oh, really? I don't know. I was going to mention on the cheap, uh, you know, we, we talked about street food and, and how street food had changed. Like the price of street food hasn't gone up a lot. But I guess what happened is that like, you know, instead of making their own mudang, which is like the spicy red pork, mm -hmm. now, I think in order to keep prices down, they're now buying their 
products from like a wholesaler like someone's making like a lot of noodles or they're making a lot of the, the pork and then people are buying it from from those wholesalers so i think in order to keep the prices down on street food the quality's gone down a bit hmm, you know okay and then you mentioned like kind of street bars like i remember we used to go to bars where you could just buy a bottle of sangsol <laughs> yeah. and like a bunch of cokes and some ice and some soda there was a place called mountain bike on makasan that was like a favorite hangout of okay ours. so like you know a night out drinking in bangkok used to be cheap because you could just buy a bottle of cheap rum yeah. and some cokes and just mix it up Ten yourself bucks. and 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 now yeah like cocktails can be like twelve dollars plus plus and a burger yeah like you know like a nana burger was like two dollars probably with mm. like a double cheeseburger with egg and stuff yeah and and again hamburgers are probably like twelve dollars at some of these fancier places now it's great that you have like this this great new big selection mm. Um, but it seems like down on the budget end, uh, that's where we're really losing out. Yeah. And, you know, one thing worth mentioning, though, is is that like old areas like Jorongkrung, which is the one of the original roads that runs parallel to the Chao Phraya River or Talat Noi, which is an old Chinese community just south of Chinatown or Yaorat. Those areas, like a lot of those old buildings now are getting funky galleries, funky restaurants, funky bars. So, I mean, while some of those places that are opening are expensive, it's they're, they're really kind of keeping older buildings alive which is something i really like yeah i think that's been really interesting the charon krung and the the chinatown kind of like the hipsters moving in there and because the rent was cheap and and some of those places are really cool because they're really incorporating the character of the old city into their their design Mm. and their style so uh, yeah definitely the the chinatown charon krung area bars again like if you go to the show notes uh, talktravelasia.com uh, we'll have a, a Google map there of some of these places that, that we like uh, in these new neighborhoods. And, and again, a link uh, for you to donate to the show on our uh, Patreon Do page, which we'd really appreciate. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, you know, I was just supposed to go back to Bangkok last week, um, but I was a little busy here in Phnom Penh. Um, but I'm hoping to come back in February. And, uh, you know, Bangkok's just such a big city that even if you have like like four or five days, um, it's hard to even scratch the surface. You know, I, I got to start making a list of like, okay, which which restaurants do I really want to eat at? Mm. Like, which neighborhoods do I really want to hang out in? Um, and and like you said earlier, sometimes those places close down after years, and uh, it's like kind of a, a bummer to lose someplace. But there's still like all sorts of new things, or there's old things that are new to you because you never discovered them. You know, like uh, down some little alleyway, you, you you never noticed this place, and it's been there forever, and uh, it's worth discovering so uh you know while bangkok keeps evolving it's, it's still awesome. you hit the nail on the head man and i you know after almost 20 years here i i still love this city i think more than almost any city in the world is like i worked in a, in tourism so i had to know the quirky spots but even now like Two weeks ago, I was walking down old alleys and communities I'd never been to. I discovered a 109-year-old roasted duck shop, which is incredible, right? So there is always those things to discover. But I do really worry that there's a sort of push to, quote-unquote, like modernize the city. And that in 10 years, a lot of the things that really have made Bangkok famous and people come for, e.g. amulet markets on the street or the flower and vegetable market or street food we're going to end up with a city that's just a bit too much like all the other Asian cities, but it really is a, is a great, great place. Obviously a place we love. And uh, yeah, this is real fun to talk about this one. So as you mentioned, Trevor, uh, don't forget to show us some financial love, help us pay the bills. Literally uh, click donate on the left page of our website, talktravelasia.com or go to Patreon and search for us um, from Bangkok, Thailand. This is Scott Coates saying thanks so much for listening. Trevor, take us out of this thing.
Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us again, Scott. And uh, mm. thanks for listening, everybody. If you're going to come to Thailand sometime soon, uh, again, you know, you can send us an email and we can give you some tips on some places that are still worth checking out. Now, thinking about the future of Bangkok, I mean, I really don't know what the future holds. It would be sad to see it become too Singaporeized, but but I feel like Bangkok and the Thai people have such a strong unique culture that I think Bangkok will always be Bangkok no matter what it becomes right um, mm. so I think uh, it, it, it's uh, it'll be great to, to see how it evolves um, so if you keep listening maybe on uh, episode 940 we'll be doing uh, <laughs> a recap of this 10 years from now indeed so until two weeks from now thanks for listening we'll be back with a new episode soon Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in 